Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. This is Danny from New York. There was a night in Cambridge where I was walking down the street with a girl I was seeing, and we passed underneath uh, a beautifully lit tree done up with twinkle lights. It was November, so the leaves were changing, and you could see through a gap in the branches the moon. And so I reached out, and I, I grabbed her hand, and I said, wait, stop. And I pulled her back to stand at the angle that I was standing, where you could see the lights and the leaves and the moon all the way up. And she just turned around and kissed me. And I asked, what was that for? And she just shrugged and said, it was beautiful. And in that moment, I realized that something I, I've always thought was really well put into words by this girl, that beauty is tied up in love and care and a desire to share it that I think actually does really increase its value because it's one thing for something just to be pretty. If I had seen the moon, it would still have been pretty. But I think sharing it is what takes something from just sort of aesthetically pleasing to really beautiful. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Thanks. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. A huge thanks to everyone who signed up to Patreon recently. Divya S, Catherine, Dana L, Esther G, Tana F, and Monica W. And you are the top six in this week's fashion competition, making evening ball gowns. So I really loved all of your designs. Everyone else was sent home, but you are still with us in the competition. Mazel tov. <laughs> Vanessa, I really was intrigued by Danny's voicemail. The, this sense that something goes from like aesthetically pleasing to beautiful when it's shared. This is interesting to me because the question I'm bringing is like, is beauty a moral good? 
And the reason I asked that question is, first of all, my assumption is yes, right? Like, I think that's one of the things we grow up with, this this trinity of, like, beauty, goodness, and truth as all being net positives, at least in the kind of Western classical tradition. But one of my favorite moments in the calendar is the first Monday in May, which is the Met Gala. And I love this moment because it is a gathering of all sorts of interesting, fabulous people, but mostly because it's all about the clothes that they wear when they walk into this fabulous party. And what I like to do is not just watch them arrive, but then talk about them with other people. And so this is what struck me from Danny's voicemail is that here is a moment that is definitely about like aesthetics and looking at something that's beautiful, or at least that, that that's kind of visually pleasing, the gowns, the materials, the styling, the hair, if you're Lady Gaga, the multiple reveals of the dress. But <laughs> it also makes me a little uneasy. Why is it good that I'm looking at this? Like, this is a celebration of beauty in a way, but I'm not sure that I like what it does to me because it often makes me feel smaller or like not beautiful. And so I I guess that's what I'm sitting with. Like, is it really good to look at beauty in this kind of way? Like, does that mean if you're not beautiful that you're not good? Right? Like this idea that beauty is inherently good, that it's it's a morally positive thing always. I, I'm I'm just a little suspicious of that. So let me make sure I understand this. So is what you're saying that If beauty is good, the moral implication is that if we're not presenting beauty, that we are bad. Yeah. Or like sometimes beauty is used, right? You just think about like Nazi propaganda movies. Like, I just want to bring a hermeneutic of suspicion to this proposal that beauty is always good. And so is what you want to push us toward like, yes, the pond is beautiful, but also the landfill is beautiful. Well, <laughs> I would need a very large rosy spectacle pair of glasses to to convince us of that. I guess wrapped up in this a little bit is like that sense, wh- why do I look at some people or some things or, or some moments as beautiful and not others? Like, am I missing a different kind of beauty? And even if there is a difference in something being beautiful and not beautiful, does that mean it's better? Right. Or that this person is better? Okay, maybe they have a great skin routine. Like, hooray. I'm I'm distrustful of my own instincts and I want to question why I judge good bad on this like beauty spectrum. Are there things that you don't judge on that spectrum? Like, I don't know, something more utilitarian, like a chair. I don't care if it's pretty as long as it's comfortable or my bike or like is there something in your life that you're like Actually, the fact that it's pretty doesn't matter at all. I want it to be this other thing. Okay, so maybe this is helpful because absolutely there are categories that that used to be true about. And as I've gotten older, it's changed. Mm. I think I just had different standards for like how I decorated my bedroom. So like I remember being so happy with myself when I was like 23 and I was living in London and I had printed off these black and white photographs of like 25 heroines and heroes of mine, like people who inspired me and like finding a beautiful quote by them. Or in some cases, I was super lucky enough that they had said something or written something to me that I got to like put under their photograph. And I just printed them out and like blue tacked them on my wall. And I was like, I have nailed 
interior decorating. And it wasn't <laughs> that I was thinking like, <laughs> you know, what? I wasn't thinking it was some sort of showroom. But what was interesting was that like it felt complete or it felt right. And as I've grown older, and in part because I've married someone whose gift to the world is beauty, and it's one of the things I love about Sean, is, is that I guess my standards have gone up. Like I would no longer feel satisfied with that decor that I had created for myself. So I think maybe one of the things I'm like, I'm trying to interrogate is, is that good, right? Like, is this, is this increased beauty standard? Is it a good thing? But decor is for the sake of beauty. My question Mm. is, are there objects where the beauty is irrelevant? Like, I don't care if my car is pretty. I care if it's like gas effective and safe. And like, I profoundly don't care if it's pretty. So are there things in your life that you're like, oh yeah, I don't care. It just has to do X. Or do you find that the beauty question creeps into every part of your life? I'm really struggling with this question because like we moved into our apartment when we moved to New York. And as you had, we lived in the dorms for three years with no kitchen and like 430 square feet. And we were so lucky to have a place, right, where we got to live with 18-year-olds and not pay rent and make sure that people were okay. But moving into our own apartment with a kitchen that was just like beautiful, it was recently refurbished, this whole building. So like we got to move in when things were still in really good nick. Like it's not like the the tap or the faucet functions better but it's just part of a really beautiful aesthetic now. And it's, and, and you know, when you have an experience of something and then you experience better and you're like, oh, I can never go back without feeling like it wasn't as good as it was before. So maybe there's actually a trap in beauty. Like that's, that's where I get really nervous of like, well, what if we have to move out into a place that doesn't have a nicer kitchen? Or like, what if the beautiful haircut that I had (laughs) when I left the barber's in two weeks time, um, frankly, the next day doesn't look as good anymore. Now I'm just comparing my hair to a higher standard that I know is possible, but I'm not going to go to the salon every day. Like, come on. It's not always better that it was beautiful. So I just have one more question, which is, can't we just complicate what beautiful is? Like youth is beautiful, but like, so is aging and like, Mm. Why isn't the question you're bringing, these are arbitrary norms. Actually, wrinkles are beautiful. I think the danger is, and I I really want to speak in the most abstract terms rather than bodies specifically, but in an abstract term, like if everything is beautiful, then nothing is, right? And so it's a useful word when it demarks something as special or different or worthy of note. And so like, yeah, not every bench is going to be a beautiful bench. But this one is a, is different because it's beautiful. But then specifically talking about bodies, why should a body be good because it's beautiful? Like, why should it matter what someone else thinks about its aesthetic value? So I think what I'm hearing you say is that, like, aesthetic value on the body, bad. Like, let's mm. question that. It's probably a bad thing. But beauty, like in nature, beauty in art, like that you're more comfortable with being a good. Is that right? Yeah, that definitely feels right to me. I guess the question then is still like, 
are we not seeing the problems that we have identified with bodies in, you know, whether it's the natural world, the built environment, the design of a of a handbag? Are there problems there that I'm not seeing when I'm thinking like, ooh, I like this piece of luggage? Right. Okay, Casper, I feel like we now understand what the real question is, right? Like beauty in the body, like bad, complicated beauty and the world. What's going on here? Let's inspect. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't we turn to your first text? My first text is William Shakespeare. Ooh, I've heard of him. Yes, I've heard of him. I have. Um, And perhaps his most famous sonnet Sonnet 18, which starts, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? And I actually didn't know this, but for a significant number of those earlier sonnets, they're written by the poet to a man. And so this poem is actually written from what we presume to be a man to a young man. And he is praising his beauty, but also undermining it by pointing to the way in which time will pass and his beauty will fade. And it's actually kind of an ironic an ultimately like self-congratulatory poem because the way he says that this young man's beauty is going to live through the ages is in the words of the poet. Like his own beauty will fade, but it's being captured in this poem and that's how he will live. So I'll read a few lines just to get to the exact line that I want to point to. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Like, it's not this great praising poem that I think often it's seen as. It's kind of mean. <laughs> it's just like... You're pretty now. Congrats. Yeah. Don't don't bank on it. Um, so the, the line that I, I want to take is, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Right, which is pointing at this exact crux that we're pointing to. But the way you've helped me see what the real question is, is actually changing the way that I'm going to look at this poem, because what I thought I was going to talk about would be the way, right, that bodies change, that that the standards of beauty that don't make sense. But it's interesting because it's natural imagery that's being used here to describe the body and summer's lease, right? Like this idea that summer is the height of beauty. And so I'm actually... I'm starting to wonder if you're right about the landfills, right? Because if every season can be beautiful, if water when it's trickling or water when it's in huge amounts going down a riverbed, both of them can be beautiful. I feel really pretty clear that that's true about bodies, right? We're we're trained to see some things as beautiful and some things as not, and we want to complicate that. You know, is that true about a building that is put together without much care, can that still be beautiful? Are only the buildings that have beautiful carved stone and, you know, way more hours of work and all sorts of other things, are are those the only ones that are beautiful? So Casper, I want to take a step back to ask something that I probably should have asked at the very beginning, (laughs) which is what is beauty, right? Because you (laughs) have said like several different things, right? Like craftsmanship, 
aesthetic pleasingness? Is it about human connection and imagining effort? Or is it, you know, the line of something? Like what, what is beauty? (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. This is probably its own like multi-layered question. I mean, one way of answering that question is looking at the like the skill. You can really see the intricacy and the fact that this is not something you can just pick up and create, you know, by yourself, even if it's good modern art, right, which looks like splashes of paint on a canvas. Actually, there's a lot of thought that went into that or there's a lot of skill. So that's one way of looking at it is like the skill of the craftsperson who's made it. And I guess this is what I actually... think the answer is, is that when something is beautiful or I judge something as beautiful, I'm judging it on a reaction that I'm having internally. Like there's something happening in me that's in response, whether it's a smell or a taste or a sound, beauty ravishes me. And and not even that much for me. Like, I can't remember if I've told this story on either Harry Potter or the real question before, but like one of the moments when I knew I loved Sean was when we went to this classical music concert and, you know, I was thinking about the groceries and I look to my left and Sean is there just like, just entranced and like tears are running down his face. And he's just so moved by this experience of beauty. I mean, that's what happened to Danny's partner, right? She she was just like, she just had to kiss Danny because it was just so powerful and so beautiful. Those are the moments that make life worth living. Like I, I want to lift up beauty because it can be so powerful, right? It can inspire people to be brave. It's, it's that power to kind of, I don't want to say manipulate because that makes it sound bad, but it's that power to move, to help us be inspired to do good in the world. That's what makes it beautiful for me. I guess my question is, is it only about aesthetic, right? Because part of why the landfill isn't beautiful is because it stinks. (laughs) And part of why summer is beautiful is because it's warm and it's aesthetically pretty and you're watching bees go from flower to flower. It's like active. And in New York, it stinks. (laughs) Right. And so if you live in New York... Summer isn't the most beautiful time of year. Where I come from, it's not, right? In Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley, it's 120 degrees a day. Like, it is really unpleasant. Isn't it that beauty is complicated? This is helpful because one of the things that I I am more troubled by, and and I think a, a landfill is such an obvious version of this, is like, it's not good. Like we can see it's not good, right? Not just because it it doesn't smell good, but because like here is all of this waste. It's dumped into a hole. It it, it illustrates overconsumption. It illustrates like who has to live near this land site, right? There's all sorts of injustices that are really visible. Here's a place where it gets more complicated. I got to spend six weeks in England earlier th- this summer and it made me so happy to be there. And I was living in, in a little town in North Devon, And there's these wonderful rolling hills and I went for hikes along the coast. And as you look out over these hills, you're like, my, isn't it beautiful? But the more we learn about how landscapes have been formed and how what looks now is this kind of lovely, gentle wilderness, it's not at all wild, right? Like all of this forest was cleared. This is all farmland that's heavily farmed, right? Like the more you start to know about the environment that you're in, the more you see 
how it's managed and manicured and I don't know that that maybe an essential beauty is not there and a sort of cosmetic beauty is imposed on it. I, I guess maybe what I'm pointing to is like things can be simply beautiful when you don't actually know a lot about what's happening in the space. So so there's something about like not even an innocence, but a naivete that allows you to think something is beautiful. And when you're confronted with more of the reality, it becomes harder to think something is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, are there things that you know the like gross underbelly of and you're like, but whatever, it's still beautiful. <laughs> like certainly a lot of art, right? Like yes. Picasso was a bad man. <laughs> oh, I, I raise you Picasso and I, I offer you the Olympic opening ceremony. I am a sucker for the Olympics. Like I love it. I'm, I look forward to it. I'm all in on it. But it's by far not a simple net good, right? Like there are all sorts of human rights issues, the planning, the money spent, the list goes on. The Olympics are not necessarily a, a good, you know, simply because the, the opening ceremony is beautiful or it's beautiful to watch these athletes compete. But I love it. I love it so much. So I think that your concern isn't, is beauty a good your concern is does beauty's goodness distract us from all the bad it had to do in order to get mm. there so like is beauty mm. necessarily a net good to use your language mm. just because something's beautiful doesn't mean it's a net good yes yes that's exactly right that's exactly right and so then what do we do with beauty are we allowed to like still enjoy it and still be like, I'm inspired, even though we know just off camera, millions yeah. of people have been displaced? Yeah. Your question is like, when does beauty justify and how much does it justify? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's why I was like, is it a moral good? Is this something that we should lift up beyond its own pleasure? Like, is it something we should pursue? Is it something I should want more of? Great. Well, why don't we start to look at our second text? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So my second text is a piece of music. It's a piece of song. It's part of a song cycle by Sergei Rachmaninoff. And the piece is called How Fair This Spot, which of course is the English translation because the, the text is in Russian. Rachmaninoff was a, a Russian composer who lived at the, the turn of the 20th century and moved to, to New York after the Russian Revolution in, in 1917. And this is sung by a Swedish tenor called Nikolai Geder. And I'll... I'll read you the translation of the text, uh, even though we'll hear it sung in Russian, because um, I think it's it's just such a lovely piece of text as well as music. He's singing, it's beautiful here. Look, in the distance, the river gleams like fire. The meadows are like a colorful carpet. White clouds sail above. There is no one here. Here, silence reigns. Here, I am alone with God, the flowers and the ancient pine. And you, my dream. So I love this piece of music. It's just so stirring. And I love that final few lines of the of the translation. Here I am alone with God, the flowers and the ancient pine. And then here's the killer. And you, my dream. Like I, what, what I like so much about it is that it's it speaks to the way in which like beauty can keep something alive in us. Right. Like it can keep a spirit of of hope and potential and possibility that the world can be different, that our lives can be different, that we can be different, right? I think beauty can inspire us or beauty has inspired me to be more generous and more kind and more loving. And who doesn't want that? Like, and that's worth something. Like to, to create beautiful moments for other people or for the world is is worth some hard work and struggle and maybe even suffering. So I don't want to simplistically say like, oh, just because, you know, there's some hashtag problematic elements like, oh, it's bad. Because actually, you know, I guess if we choose it or if, if we're willing to struggle with something to create beauty, it's worth it. I mean, sometimes. Isn't what you're saying it's if it's beautiful enough and if the sacrifices aren't too much? And like that to me is what the question is about. Because if I was like, yes, but every time you listen to the song, you would have to sacrifice a puppy. You wouldn't be okay with that, right? (laughs) I mean, I think your question is like, what are the trade-offs that I'm willing to make for beauty? And how beautiful does it have to be in order for me to make that trade-off, right? Yeah. If the most beautiful building in the world had to be maintained by slaves, right? Like you, I know you, like- 
Yeah, you, of course. You wouldn't be like, let's go there. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, the White House, right? Like, there are so many things that today we regard as beautiful in one day, in one way or another. I mean, go into any European museum, for God's sake. But, like, the history around it or how it was taken or the, you know, there's so many ethical quandaries. And obviously, in some cases, it's really clear, like, no, these masks need to be returned to Benin, right? Like, this piece of Egyptian history should be in Cairo. So I don't want to complicate those clear questions, but there might be beautiful objects, you know, that, that now we might look at as as beautiful. And can we divorce the beauty from its production or even more troubling? Can we still call it beautiful when we know its history? I mean, to me, those aren't the questions, though, right? Isn't the question like, how do you want to live with this? Truth? Yeah. Yes. How do you want to live with the truth that most beauty comes with sacrifice? Yes. And like. Maybe there are some things we can think of as pure beauty, right? Like a bee and a flower and a totally whatever nature preserve, like maybe. And I don't know. I'm sure someone listening can complicate that. Yeah. But like, this is true. Beauty comes at sacrifice. Some of it you're like, so beautiful. I know what the sacrifice is worth it. So the question is like, how are you going to make this choice going forward? Knowing that beauty is a sacrifice what are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? Well, I guess the thing I don't want to do is look away. I want to tell the truth. I want to I want to know the whole story. And I I want to stand on the ground that says, even so, it can still be beautiful. Or perhaps even better said, like, even so, it, it can still be good. Or it can do good things in me. I don't have to turn away. Or separate it. So I think that this song like beautifully sets this like high standard for beauty or this high reward for beauty of like the ancient pine and you, my dream. And when it's beautiful, I'm alone with God. Right. But you also told us I love my beautiful kitchen faucet. (laughs) And so does that make you feel like you know, you're alone with God. And... <laughs> I'm just like walking around, like putting the dishes back in the cupboards, just being like, and you, my dream. <laughs> <laughs> and you, my dream cup. <laughs> I mean, it is nice. Like, it's pleasant. It feels. Yeah, I don't want to lie. Like, it, it, it feels good. I think the danger is that it can feel like self-contained. And I think this is the bit that I, that's the bit that I keep holding on to is like beauty is not complete. Like beauty can contribute to good, but it's not the good. You know what I mean? Like, because then we miss out on justice. Then we miss out on like joy. Then we miss out, like it can't be everything. And and I think that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. It's not that it's bad. Yes. It can be untrustworthy, but the mo- the most important thing I think I'm reaching with this conversation is that it's incomplete. Like it's not everything. Right. And it's not every part of the story, right? Like even if let's say like your faucet was ethically made, right? <laughs> yeah. But you like somehow bankrupted yourself to decorate your house, right? Like it, it wouldn't even <laughs> be a good in your life. Yeah. Yes. So like beauty yes. is one thing, but like it can't ever be everything. Yeah. You know, and and the same is true, I think, with justice. Like, 
if justice is the only good, then we're missing out on beauty. This is really helpful, Vanessa. Huh? I, I, I was worried there. I was like, have Rachmaninoff and Shakespeare not brought us home? But this feels this feels really right. It's about contextualizing it within other goods and making sure that they don't live by themselves. Yeah. What I love about where we've landed is that it affirms the kind of instinctual appreciation of beauty, but it also puts it in a place that it doesn't do harm, I hope. Like, then that feels, that just feels morally right. Like that was the question I was really grappling with is like, what if this is untrustworthy or dangerous? So thank you for that. And thanks to William Shakespeare and Sergei Rachmaninoff and our fabulous voicemail from Danny. Thanks, Danny. And Ingo Pixel from Seattle, Washington, who sent us this amazing Pablo Neruda quote, which Casper, <gasps> I think, sums up our conversation so well. A great poet is a disturbance. Ooh. Yes. So good. Yeah, like beauty can disturb things. Yeah. Ooh, Beauty love should that. disturb things. That's how everyone feels when I walk in the room. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So please help us out. If you can, you get amazing perks at our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. We are 686 strong. Help us get to 700. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and Twitter at The Real Q Pod. We have a new social media intern, Emma, everyone. So thank you to Emma. We are Not Sorry Production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull, and we are distributed by ACAST. We would like to thank Danny, what a great voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of our patrons. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck 
and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com.